What is up? And welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, you guys brought Hampton. I mean, what a weekend for them. Big weekend. Hell yeah, man. Big weekend. We're going to be talking a lot of albums today. Lupe, Brockhampton, obviously, I mentioned. Young Thug dropped an EP, which I, I don't know if we were expecting. No. Someone who did not drop an album, though. You got a little Wayne. That's right. The Carter Five did not show up. And as I said last week, I'm okay with that. I am as well, because we have enough to talk about. We're going to be touching on some, some Netflix shows that, that dropped recently, and then finishing up with uh, Dave trying to sell me on why I should or should not see some of the most recent movies that came out. Before we jump into it, though, please hit us up on uh, Twitter at NostalgiaPod, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to find all the ways to listen to us and subscribe on YouTube, leave comments, readings, and reviews on all of those. We appreciate all the feedback. Before we jump into some music, the first like set photos and promotional videos came out about the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. I just wanted to get your quick opinion. What did you think about what, what you've seen coming out of that movie so far? Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> Jason Concepcion had a great tweet about this. He was like, you know, releasing a, a Joker origin story the year after everyone's like, we like Wonder Woman. More of that is some real fingers on the pulse type shit. And I have to agree. As we said before, it's not a movie we were clamoring for, but I mean, I fucking respect the hell out of Joaquin. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. At least he will be. Yeah, just from that promotional video where like it has the face kind of flashing on him and at the end he's wearing the paint. Uh, interesting take on the paint. I, I obviously don't think that's how they're going to end up, you know, having him look for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Probably a, a first time wearing the Joker sure. face type thing. But to jump on Jason's sweet there for a minute, I mean, he, he made a great point about how one of the best things about the Joker was no one actually knows mm-hmm. what his origin story is. It makes him a lot creepier that he just kind of shows up. It's kind and, of just been accepted that that's what's the best. Right. And the thing about the Dark Knight was that even though that he gave those ba- he gave a background story, he gave several different yeah. ones. And he made these little comments that lead to different trails of what might have actually happened, mm-hmm. but no one actually knows. Yeah. So Joker origin story in, in concept, maybe something we don't need, but if they're going to make it, looks like Joaquin might be the man for it. So definitely excited for it. I'm excited for a couple other movies coming out. You know, Star Wars Born is in a couple weeks, uh, as is Venom. They're making a Joker origin movie before they make a iteration of a Batman solo movie or a Superman 2. It's still kind of weird. DC's in a weird place right now uh, with, with Cavill leaving. Uh, they don't really have a Batman at the moment. Do you think they're really going to move forward with Aquaman and Wonder Woman kind of leading the charge? Is that is that really who you build your team Wonder around? Woman, sure. That makes plenty of sense. But Aquaman, I mean, yeah, I'm sure Aquaman will get a sequel. Probably just because they, they actually have a star, right? But like it, Ben Affleck, I doubt he ever returns. Even, you know, mm-hmm. Obviously, he had some personal issues right now. But it always seemed like his interest was short, short-lived as it was. So mm-hmm. that Matt Reeves, the Batman film, that could very well never, never get made, no matter who stars in it. And like, yep. yeah, Cavill is not officially gone, but it sounds like he's kind of guys. It's weird, but like the next next DC movie is Aquaman, then Shazam, then Wonder Woman two, then Joker. That's through twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. And after that, we have nothing, you know, nothing really hard to bank on. So it's interesting. Definitely interesting. I mean. I guess they're hoping that the Flash movie is a real hit and that they can build around them. In theory, I like but, that one because they have John Francis Daly and his partner. They just worked on Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good group, obviously, because that one had a, I think Rick Famuyiwa, you know, finally left that. There's a lot of issues going on with getting that one off the ground, but, you know, if you lose Cavill, 
you lose Affleck. Are you going to bother with an Ezra Miller flash restart? You know, there's a lot of hypotheticals right now. We don't have a lot of hard stuff to go on still. Yeah, I I think the one thing about Cavill leaving that I am excited about is there's talk that he might be the next Bond, and that might have been part of the reason why he left. Mm -hmm. How would you feel about Cavill being the next Bond? I mean, yeah, he's like a studly British man. It makes sense, but... I, when I just I think he's too jacked for the role, you know. Like mm. Bond's like a secret agent, blends in, right? Cavill doesn't blend in; he's a fucking tank, you know. I don't know. Just personally, I think he's like too sculpted for the role. Now, James Bond <laughs> does the worst job at blending in ever, dude. I mean, how many times but, does he show up to a thing and the bad guy immediately is like, "Oh, hello, James Bond." Like, <laughs> I don't Bond. know if that's necessarily something he needs for sure. Sure. The only thing I think about Cavill is he does he's not as like debonair as Bond's supposed to be. I mean, I'm thinking of the man from Uncle, right? Like yeah. he showed a lot in that, but mm-hmm. I'd rather have Army Hammer do it personally. Oh. Give Army Hammer all the roles, mm-hmm. man. I think anyone that's listened to our our breakdown of last year move last year's Probably what our our favorite movie, or at least consensus favorite movie. What movie? Timothy Chalamet. Army oh, Hammer. call me by your name. Yes. yes, call me by your name. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and sorry to bother you. Straight heaters in that movie. <laughs> He's in that one too. But call me by your name, especially. I think people knew we we left being mm-hmm. uh, big army heads. So I, I like that pick. We'll be talking more Bond in the future, especially since Kerry Fukunaga. He'll be taking over the reins after Bond after Bond twenty five. Correct. So He's, he's directing Bond twenty five now. After. Uh, Stephen Daldry was left. Not Stephen Daldry. Whoever left left the project. Mm-hmm. They only got only ended up delaying the movie a few months. So they're starting that up next year. But that's exciting. We'll talk about Fukunawa in a little bit. Why don't we jump to some music though? We'll start with your guy Young Thug. Thug dropping this on the run six song EP mm-hmm. early this morning or late last night. I don't know when it happened exactly because I was sleeping. <laughs> but waking up and seeing Young Thug listing Elton John as a feature mm-hmm. on this show, I, I just knew immediately. I was like, oh, this is going to be something. And I actually really enjoyed listening to this. I'll admit I'm not a huge Young Thug fan. Uh, I'm not super familiar with his discography. So I went in with low expectations of me enjoying this. Mm-hmm. And I really left feeling like this is a, a, just a fun project to listen to. Some really good features. I thought Jaden Smith was solid. Black, I thought, was solid as well. Mm-hmm. And then sampling Ellen John, the last one, just, like, hooked me. So, very pleased with this. What was your reaction to seeing it? And then how did you feel about the album in general or the EP? Yeah, so I believe it came out early this morning or, like, right, you know, at midnight or whatever. And we knew about that, like, Rocket Man remix of some kind that that had been teased. But then it kind of been, like, acknowledged relatively recently. But I never thought we'd get a studio version this soon, let alone all these new songs, because... Thug just dropped Slime Language in, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, fucking August? Like, a compilation yeah. album. He released, what was it, Hear No Evil, another EP earlier this year. And he's always been a prolific guy, but I didn't expect this new EP. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this is my favorite Thug project in a long time. Usually because he puts so much shit out, it's usually hit or miss for me. And even, like, Beautiful Thugger Girls, which was a project that was pretty well liked. I didn't like it as much because he was, uh, as you could imagine it's more r&b leaning but this one i thought this one you know this kind of reminded me of like some barter six era thug where it was just him really sticking to what he's good at when you listen to thug i feel like you kind of know what you're gonna get and you also have no idea what you're gonna get it really depends mm-hmm. in, in terms of what he does on the mic like on a uh, slime language a lot of people were talking about that song uh, autumn where it's just like, he's absurd with like his you know breath right. control and his cadences and all that kind of stuff right and 
when Thug is on, it can be really cool. And I think on this album, or this EP rather, he brings it. I think most of the songs are, uh, you know, worth revisiting. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised for an EP I had no idea was coming. Yeah, I think I think we both co-sign on definitely check this out. It's a it's a fun little project. It's quick to listen to. I mean, Young Thug keep popping out those songs and uh, making hits. Let's jump to somebody whose last album really wasn't much of a hit. Lupe Fiasco. I believe that when you reviewed this, you were not a big fan of Droga's Light. Yeah, it was it was fine. Had its moments. There was a song on there I actually really did dig, but it was pretty middling. I was more privy to his 2015 album, Tetsu and Youth. I actually really liked mm-hmm. that one. And that's kind of, but you know, having Droga's Wave, this new album, come out a year and a half after an album, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty quick. I didn't expect that. And especially considering this is a long album, it's pretty dense too. But I also think it's pretty solid. It's a lot better than last year's. So I think this is another unexpected drop from a prolific, well-liked artist. Were you privy to this Reddit thread that he started and was like updating about this album for, like the the past like year or so? No. See, the, the thing the thing with Lupe is that Lupe is like a really grating person these days. You know, like he just doesn't hold his tongue, doesn't give a fuck. That can help him sometimes. He speaks his mind. Mm-hmm. Other times he burns a lot of bridges. So I kind of just like don't pay attention to what he says these days, and I'll just listen when mm-hmm. he puts out music. So yeah, I, have, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea about it either, but just kind of doing some background research, he apparently started this Reddit thread and was kind of going back and forth with some of the, the commenters in there and, and just kind of talking about his ideas for this album. It was kind of like a living, breathing like uh, thread of, of the concepts he wanted to talk about, which is kind of cool to then see them play out almost in like, different ways in this and i think the main one that people took away from it was he wanted to uh talk about the experience of a slave on a slave ship who decides to jump in the water Mm. rather than go and be a slave which is basically what the first part of the album is centered around is this idea and then he talked about a lot of other really deep and and i think really touching and powerful stories you know specifically Alan and uh, what was the song like jo- Jolina or something like that? Um, Join La Alan Forever and then yep John La Forever yeah, yeah. John John and th- those are stories about children who were either one was a refugee who was found dead um, on on a beach and no one really knows exactly what happened to them. Another one was a child who was killed in a drive by shooting, mm-hmm. um, and he talks about what their lives could have been. Um, and you know the, the tragedy of those losses then he also looks at his own introspection and, and his own come up you know in songs like uh, cripple and uh, king king nas so he had a lot of different concepts while also mixing in a lot of different sounds what what do you like stood out most about the summer what, what did you like most about this album that song i like from last year by the way was called jump big fan of that was kind of like a, like a retro lupe flow just you know sounded like the lupe of old i really like that one i believe it was on our playlist last year yeah with this one i think what was so impressive about it was that lupe sounded like he sounded like really clear really confident on the mic you know i mean he's always been a lyrical guy he's always been a guy who prides himself on his bars but on this album it seemed like he like knew exactly what he was doing. It was, like you know, some of those albums like Food and Liquor Two and especially Lasers, you know, kind of aimless mm-hmm. projects. Didn't feel it that sure. way with this one. And my one reservation looked when I was going in, I was like, hour and a half, <laughs> yeah, hour and a half. I mean, you better have two distinct sides like Drake, or you better have 
three short discs, like Ray Shremmerd. This better not be no Culture 2 shit. I just don't want bulk. Right. And <laughs> at times I felt that. Like, I know there's like a part one, part two on this album. And I guess lyrically, there is that divide. But I think because it sounds... For me, it kind of flowed. I, I didn't really notice the discs changes much unless you're really, really listening for the, for the lyrics and the storytelling. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. I noticed if I listened again. But yeah, I think it sounded really good overall. Yeah, definitely. And you know, um, something we're going to talk about, I think, a little bit of Brockhampton is how a lot of their songs, they, they switch up style um, depending on the song, depending on what they're trying to achieve. Lupe did some of the, some similar stuff. You know, he brought in chords, he brought in strings and, and had some very interesting musical compositions. It's a very dense album like you talked about. It's not only that this 25 track album where there's a lot of interludes, things like that, and there's a lot of songs to get through, but the songs that he does rap on and really goes into are very layered. And I think you'd have to listen to this album like three or four times to really catch yeah. most of what he's talking about. So it's not an easy listen. Yeah, and a lot of those songs, a lot of like the good songs that like you're vibing to, then you look down and like, fuck, this is a six-minute song. You know? Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. A lot of that. <laughs> it's actually interesting, too. Yeah, Lupe has obviously got a lot to say, and I think people know that he's just a, an established established rapper and an excellent like wordsmith. He he has a whole bunch of different flows. He's a very skilled technical rapper. Um, but making hits hasn't always been his his forte. But I do think mm-hmm. there's some songs on here that really stand out. Like Stack the Cheese yeah, was a stack, really, really stack fun song. Stack that cheese is great. I, I left that song and I was like, that one's going on the playlist like immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought Alan Forever was also a pretty mm-hmm. good song. I like Cripple and uh, Wave Files, which yep. is yep. the song that's probably the most controversial one because it's about that slave like jumping in the water. Mm-hmm. But the, just the sound of it and even making it sound like, like an ocean sound was, I thought, really impressive and all really enjoyable. So I, I really think this is probably Lupe's most solid project in a couple of years, probably since his fifth album came out, the one that you liked before Waves yeah. of Light. Yeah, Tetsuo and Youth uh, had a, one of his best songs ever called Mural on there. And you kind of followed that up at the end of this album with Mural Jr., so I thought that was a cool little yeah. touch, little nod. One observation: I, I don't. I'm surprised I didn't think of this before, but Nikki Jean is to Lupe Fiasco what Skylar Gray is to Eminem. She's just always mm. there, always singing on a Lupe song. Yep. And I'm like, don't know if you need to do this all the time, but hey, not to me. <laughs> you know, everybody. Artists seem to have like like their people a lot of the times like and she was on stack that uh, cheese so I I can't hate too much you know I like that song <laughs> um, if you want to stay up to date with all the songs that we like as I mentioned uh, nostalgia best of 2018 on Spotify uh, definitely check that out I think we have over a hundred songs at this point oh yeah uh, we'll we'll be updating with songs that we talked about today all right time time to get into it Brockhampton Dave I'm gonna kind of give you the floor. <laughs> to set the stage for these guys, and then uh, bring me in when you're ready to uh, talk about iridescence. <laughs> uh, uh, have you uh, sub in for the, with, the, yeah. with, the, with the bench real quick? <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about Brockhampton several times throughout the year. Talked, specifically did a review on Saturation 3, their most recent album, but talked about that before that. I've talked about that s- them since then. But we'll probably just, we're, we're just going to rehash a little bit of that. So if you've been listening, you're probably aware of this, so bear with me. But Brockhampton... The reason I think that I really latched on to them really fast and really started telling people and enthusiastically recommending them as a group was 
to that versatility you were alluding to earlier. I think Brockhampton, which is a, what, 12, 15-person rap collective self-styled boy band formed on the internet. Kevin Abstract, their pseudo-frontman, basically solicited on the Kanye to the forums about people wanting to make a band. And he got all these like-minded talents from all across the country. They, uh, I think Kevin's from uh, Texas, but people from all over the place, Connecticut, Europe, uh, all over. Mm-hmm. They all moved to L.A. They rented a house together and started making music. And that's a cool story in, in that regard. They've also like had this really interesting uh, path to getting to where we are now just because Kevin, as a solo artist, started getting some buzz at the end of, last, uh, at the end of 2017 with his second album, American Boyfriend, being a openly gay person in hip-hop, obviously, is kind of noteworthy in and of itself. You know, I, I personally, it was a little too, um, too like, soft for me. I wasn't a big fan of it, but I could appreciate, you know, what he was doing on it. And then, mm-hmm. also of 2017, they released, Brockhampton released their first official group project, uh, All-American Trash. It's a mixtape. Again, didn't like it too much, but there's some songs there I enjoyed called, like, when, uh, called Ben Carson. And, uh, you know, you could see the potential, right? And then flash forward to when we, you know, they started getting real, real attention. 2018, that Saturation Trilogy, three LPs from June 2017 to December 2017. And, you know, they're just rabid fan base continue to grow exponentially. I think they really connected with young kids specifically, but because they're, you know, kind of a, a group of outcasts, a bunch of different kids, you know, they don't really fit in the box, right? Any of those got any of these dudes, and that was really appealing to a lot of kids, especially kids that are, you know, down in the dumps, or even, you know, kids struggling with their sexuality, whatever it may be, right? It's a lot of, yeah. a lot of appealing about Brockhampton for young kids. And then people like me and you, more interested in them strictly for the uh, you know, music, they continue to grow at this really crazy rate in terms of making this really well-produced music that is once again, like the members, hard to put in the box and hard to compare to much of anyone else in the rap game, right? And it's production that's is unique compared to the rest of the game. Verse structure, song structure, everything is so different and like unique to them. They're just so like appealing in that regard. And it also happens that in addition to being versatile and unique and different, it's also really good usually, right? So all these appealing things bringing us to 2018 where... They have some controversy. We talked about this. Amir Van, one of the founding members, sexual misconduct allegations, leaves the group. Not only one of the founding members, but the face of their three albums. Literally the face of the Saturation albums. He went to high school with Kevin, and they handled this clumsily. And I think you you hear this on the album, which we're going to get to. And initially, one of the lines that was thrown out there a lot that people were throwing back at them was, Kevin basically said the... I didn't see an abuse, so maybe it didn't happen. Like, you know, like he said, like, I didn't see the abuser committing any abuse, so, you know, what do I know? And, you know, obviously we know that's a, a bad sentiment to have. Amir left the group. Uh, they said that he lied or misled them, so we obviously we don't really know. We know what their company line is, but in the meantime, you know, right, right before this happened, they signed RCA Records, $15 million right. record deal. Again, for these Crazy kids. Crazy deal. These kids that are not making super radio-friendly music, I think what what you're really investing in is kind of really shows what you know labels are interested in in 2018. You're investing in the fans, right? You're investing in that ecosystem. And Saturation Three did uh, I think 36,000 first week in December, came in I think 15th that week, and I'm really interested to see how much bigger Iridescence does because obviously they've continued to grow. 
and they've also grown um, within the game. I mean, like Pharrell is showing love to them. Obviously, they're friends with peers like uh, Jane Smith and Ansel Elgort, people like that. But it's just it's been a really interesting story, especially like me and you. I mean, fuck, like we're at the old, much older end of like their fan mm-hmm. spectrum, right? I guess we're just kind of coming at this as critics, but a lot going into this album and. You know, now that they've released this album, which went through three name changes, finally sell on Iridescence, right? Uh, who knows how many iterations of this album there are, because they re-recorded a bunch of it, obviously, as things went down. How many Amir songs are just on hard drives now that we're never going to hear, right? Who knows? Um, right. But they had a rough rough summer. You can go <laughs> Google what happened at Boston College, and they were, you know, crying on stage. They were having a hard time. Again, they're young dudes. And uh, we got this album. And it's definitely different, but uh, I still think it's pretty good. But what did you think as someone who even came in, came into the group uh, more recently than I did? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things doing a podcast together and having, I think, very different music tastes, we, we definitely, our Venn diagram, the middle part isn't as big as people, anyone that listens to the show knows. Um, and you've made attempts to listen to albums I want, I, I want you to listen to, I want to talk about. I do the same for you. And Brockhampton was something I promised you this year I was going to catch up. Uh, and I kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And Iridescence is coming out. And I'm like, all right, I got to do this. So, like, literally, I Friday night, I like put the, the head the earbuds in. I was listening. Uh, and I was I was pretty blo- bro- uh, pretty blown away. Um, I started with All American Trash, but I listened to that a couple. I think that actually was um, something that was a hindrance to me getting to saturation because I, I didn't love that that project mm-hmm. and i was like yeah if it's all gonna be like this gonna be a bit of a, a slog but then uh, when it, look, getting through saturation especially i mean there's some really great songs of saturation i think the beginning heat into gold is just like <laughs> i mean w- what a fucking like an announcement of like what this band can be mm-hmm. and who, who they are um, but i really enjoyed the second half and just how it became very like like breezy mm-hmm. and very melodic and and fun to just kind of like vibe to um and then saturation two i didn't like as much but i thought there were some i mean junky kevin abstracts yeah uh verse on that is fantastic um and then like the funkiness of sweet i was like this song is a fucking banger mm-hmm. and then i got to saturation three and it starts off with boogie and i was like oh shit like <laughs> they they were coming so hard on that um i also really liked alaska so i found so many different things and they were so versatile um and they really captured, I think, this this I want to say duality, but it's almost like a trial triality where they have this very melodic kind of like serious, serious boy band vibe to some of their songs. Then they have this mm-hmm. very hard rap vibe. And then there's an in-between where they try on this like almost Punjabi MC type sound. Oh, wow. Um, sure. That just makes them so fun to listen to. And it's always like, what are you going to get? Um, I was interested also to see with all the stuff that happened with Amir, what was going to come out of this album. I, I had stayed a little bit more up to date with where the band was at and how they were handling all the controversy. And I saw that there were some ups and downs with it, but I think they, I think they landed the ship and I think Iridescence is, it's probably not their best album, but I think it's a very, very solid album. Um, and probably my second favorite out of the four, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, critically, it's incredibly commendable for a multitude of reasons. But I think because it's an album that is, uh, I don't want to say lower energy, that that sounds too negative, but it's, 
I guess it's just uh, it's like more it's like intentionally like banger reverse, right? Like the saturation trilogy. Part of that identity is that that's just some fucking ignorant music, but not ignorant in like the traditional <laughs> sense for rap, right? And like, right, like there's no gummy on iridescence. There's no gold no. on iridescence, right? The closest thing you probably get mm-hmm. is first song New Orleans or like Jouvert, I think, because the closest things I could think of to like saturation era. But also they're also pretty different. Um, and also this is an album that is, given what's happened to them, you know, they've had a long year. Uh, mm-hmm. It's at times sadder. It's, it's uh, incredibly introspective. And not that they weren't introspective before. You reference Junkie. Uh, Kevin's verse on that's mm-hmm. well documented, but Matt Champion's verse in the beginning, same thing. Um, they've, they've, you know, dabbled in that. But I think they, a lot of them, I think almost the whole group, they all were very self-reflective on Iridescent. So that can make it maybe not as fun to revisit depending on your mood. But I think the album, you know, is, is still really great. So, it, you know, you can kind of dock just different for those reasons. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think I think that difference is necessarily, necessarily a bad thing. They're also at this point where, I mean, this is... Uh, their fame album i guess yeah. you you can say so a lot of yeah. reviews are, are saying that they're, they're trying to reconcile this this getting this huge accomplishment as a group i mean 15 million um that's a million dollars for every single person in the group which i mean for them is completely life-changing while also having this this member of their band who is a pretty you know important member and mm-hmm. close with the the leader of the band i mean they like I said they grew up together going through this controversy and making sense of what this this means for them um i think that they i think they do a really good job of creating songs that they are lower energy than their other bangers or hits but like san marcos mm-hmm. i mean that is going to be sung at festivals that was made for festivals pretty much like i can just see crowds just singing that like that ending sure uh you know mm-hmm. where they're they're basically just singing together i want more to the to this life than this um i don't know i also felt like honey was a really enjoyable song one that really stood out to me wait i think kevin abstract that's like his oh, yeah. junkie verse for this album no doubt and also tanya i thought it was a really interesting look at um and, and a really interesting concept to use the movies i guess like rise uh, or, right and you know yeah. it's interesting because you know leading up to this they released uh three lucy's that weren't on this album right uh 1999 wildfire was our most our favorite one right the very outcast adjacent song right and then tanya followed up pretty soon after and i was listening i was like eh, i don't know if i'm digging this one but in the in the flow of iridescence you know i was like fuck mm-hmm. yeah this is great i actually really like this song it's one of my favorite songs on the album mm-hmm. you know i think if there's a you know there's a negative to this and again this is not i'm just just explaining how the track list functions because Brockhampton has so many members, because they dabble in so many sounds, it's really hard for the music they make right now to be cohesive in the flow of an album. I mean, because it jumps around so much, it can almost be disruptive if those songs don't totally vibe or work for the listener. I think Amir's departure opened up a lot of real estate for other members of the group came to grow. I think Joba is a big winner from this. He really shows out. I really was starting to like vibe with him. Like I'm Boogie, right? Boogie like, steals the show at the end of that song. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, there's more going on with Joba because remember how saturation starts. Joba, Matt, Merlin, those dudes are like they're like bit players. Like they'll come in, they'll do cool stuff. But it was really 
Kevin, Amir, and Dom dominating most of the songs in terms of having like full-fledged verses, right, and doing lots of the hooks, right? But on this, with Amir gone, they've had to change. And I think almost all positive. The only negative I would say is I think there's a little too much bareface on this. Bareface is he started out behind, you know, behind the scenes for them, but he's the one who does like the really open singing, right? Like it sounds like nothing else that any of the other guys do. I think it doesn't work so much mm-hmm. on some of the songs like Thug Life, for example. Well, I thought the mix was really cool, the way they transitioned from New Orleans to Thug Life. I don't like yep. him sometimes, but on San Marcos, he's really good. So he's a little hit or miss for me. But other than that, I thought everyone else took advantage of the opportunity to have more you know, room with me gone. It's actually interesting. Joba, when when he's really going in, almost kind of loses me with like how screamy it gets. Sure. Um, but I think I think the way he's able to like go from being so screamy to also being incredibly melodic at points mm. is really interesting and i think um i would agree he gets a lot of time on this to really to grow it and to experiment and explore like what his style is and what works for him what what was your favorite song off the album i was interested in this i've been going to new orleans the most just because that's uh, been probably the most successful track it's like saturation it's just you know it's the closest thing to a banger right so I like that one a lot. But I think Wait, obviously, Kevin versus Dope, really important. I think Juvera is really cool. I think that's again, speaks to when Joe was on and like really hitting his stride. It's on a song like that. Tanya, a, a slower song, but I, I really dig that one. Unfortunately, it's only like two minutes long, but I thought Where the Cash At was really fun with Merlin and Matt. Reminded me a lot of Queer on Saturation 2 mm-hmm. in the beginning. But yeah, I mean, my thing with Brockham has always been, I'm not going to like all of their songs. I never have. That's because they make all different kinds of songs. But I can always appreciate what they're trying to do because they're doing a million things at once, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, absolutely still uh, incredibly pleased with the project as it seems everyone is yeah it's, it's gotten really good uh reviews so far i think just in general they're uh, uh people like not only what they're trying to do but their execution is usually pretty close to good on almost everything if not good or great mm-hmm. so uh, hot band before we move on i wanted to ask where does this album rank with the saturation trilogy for you good question i like you have saturation 2 at the bottom of the trilogy that's why the fact that there are saturation 2 songs i love i think sweet at the moment's my favorite rock anthem song obviously that's something that's changed 30 times but uh i think i have sat two at the bottom it's early to tell um i had saturation one on my top 10 albums of 2017 and this one i'm sure will be certainly close for my 2018 list but i don't know i think i still have saturation one three ahead of this right now but it could change it could change for sure. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it'll probably depend on the mood that you're in on any given day moving forward. Um, you definitely check that out. And like I said, we'll have uh, probably one or two songs from Brockhampton on our best sub playlist. We're gonna jump to some TV before we wrap up with some movie talk. Maniac, Jonah Hill, Emma Stone, Justin Thoreau. What are you, what are your initial thoughts on? We're only gonna be talking about the first episode of all these shows. What's your uh, take on episode one of Maniac? The pattern is the pattern. Hey, is that the line? <laughs> is that what he sees in the bathroom? Something, Something like, like that. that. <laughs> He's gonna be the savior of the world. So I'm fucking in, dude. This reminds me a lot of Legion, a show whose first mm. season we fucking loved. You know, in the second season, I could still appreciate it for what it was doing. I thought, me, I think, I think it's cool because it wasn't like intentionally misleading us with the surreal nature mm-hmm. of the show like yes jonah yeah. hill's character uh, owen right mm-hmm. yeah oh even though owen has problems keeping track of reality us as the viewer don't have that same problem 
you know, it's not like Mr. Robot. I actually appreciate it for that. Jonah Hill and Emma Stone are giving, I think, specific performances, which I'm curious to see continue to play out. Obviously, this is the first time back on screen since Superbad. Back in 07, it's been a minute. And then Carrie Fukunawa actually put, put something out again. You know, it's been a while since Beast of No Nation. He, he's attached to it, left it, attached to the alienist, left the alienist. Now he's attached to Bond. Mm-hmm. Please don't leave. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, of course, he blew up from True Detective season one of course directed the whole thing right so it's return to tv but again return to screen in general and he's a cool director because he's working with patrick somerville who's the showrunner patrick somerville cut his teeth in the leftovers writing room and the funny thing about this show is if you remember back when netflix announced this they announced fukunawa stone jonah hill and then seven months later they told us oh yeah it's being run by patrick somerville sorry i forgot to mention that <laughs> but i think it's a really cool uh union and i've read some pieces about how they've collaborating work together apparently they threw out a ton of scripts right before they went to production and uh because they just kind of like you know they, they butt heads at times it really were it seems like it was a really cool uh creative um process and then you combine that with a show that seems to be quite creative and quite uh, out there so i'm really excited to see what happens i think hill and stone have a lot of chemistry obviously first time you see them is super bad but um I really like the role Jonah Hill gets to play in this. You know, um, he's skinny Jonah Hill right now, mm-hmm. which is really great to see. Uh, getting to do some more dramatic acting. And, you know, when you even think about him as a dramatic actor in something like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Moneyball. he never really gets to be, like, I, I feel like like the serious, serious actor. He always is kind of, like, providing some sort of comic relief. But this seems, I mean, at least from what we saw in the first episode, I feel like there weren't a lot of... Uh, moments of levity it was pretty heavy a lot of it um also someone that i'm really interested how they they uh play her into this is jemima kirk Mm -hmm. who plays jessa on girls um but she for some reason whenever she's on the screen i can't like take my eyes off her Mm -hmm. i feel like she's just like a really stunning actress and uh it seems like there's some sort of romance kindling there um Mm -hmm. it's hard to i guess tell how how real that is or isn't with jonah hill's mind state but with the relationship that i i'm almost sure is going to bud between hill and and stone and then whatever jemima kirk's character ends up doing i think that that could be really interesting also from all the previews justin thoreau looks like he gets to kind of show out in this and be super weird which i'm down with weird justin thoreau uh (laughs) you know I, i love him in the leftovers i think he's a underutilized actor um he should have gotten a bigger role in Star Wars: The Last Jedi, but yeah, only like, so much you can do with code as a codebreaker, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I'm in on this show. I'm excited to see where it goes. Why don't we jump to American Vandal? Did you did you ever watch season one? I have since watched it. We did not talk about it that much because I watched it this year. I didn't watch it last year when it came out. I can't remember if it was my, on my best of 2017 list, but I definitely mentioned it at least as a uh, honorable mention for the list. Uh, you know, it really was a surprise hit for Netflix oh, yeah. where it was mockument- uh, a mockumentary style of, you know, like serial and all these crime documentaries mm-hmm. looking at who drew the penises on the cars and who drew one. the dicks. Season two is looking at the turd burglar, the brown out uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all, all those videos of like the kids during the Dude. brown out are like ridiculous. <laughs> they are not holding anything back. I was like, fuck, no. hell yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of the first beginning of American Vandal season two? What made season one so great 
is, as you said, it's so se- treats itself so serious that it's hilarious as a result, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The mockumentary and the kids, you know, they're just the way they're going about it is so fun to watch. And then the show like really levels up in episode five when American Vandal gets posted on Vimeo in the show's world, right, and becomes like a real thing, yep. right? And the show just becomes even even better, levels up, right? And this one, they're doubling down again at the start of season two, it's even more meta. They go on Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. They get, like, contracted yep. out to solve this new mystery at this other school. Yep. So I just find it so cool that they keep continuing to do that because the way season one ended really impressed me. There are multiple, uh, multiple opportunities for them to kind of just, you know, play into the cliche, lean in, kind of get out real quick, you know, with, um, what's her name, uh, Krista Carlisle, right? Like, they didn't just go mm-hmm. out and expose someone else, right? They kind of, like, turned away from these obvious ways to end the show. And on this one, right. uh, how do they do in the first one? They have a guy uh, admit to being the criminal in the first mm-hmm. episode. Again, a different tact. So I'm just really excited to see because these guys uh, behind the show, they know what they know what they're doing, and they're making like a com- obviously they're making commentary on the way social media functions with young people and all that. But mm-hmm. they're not play just playing the hits again. I think they're already starting to twist it. I just I just find them really their their grasp of you know what they're actually making fun of is really impressive to me. So I just you yeah. know I'm excited to see what's gonna gonna go down because it's not gonna be uh, you know predictable. No, not at all, and. It was actually interesting when they announced season two. I think people were like, how are they going to do this? Is it going to be revisiting the same story, same school? Mm-hmm. I think to, to frame it the way that they did to make it an anthology type series where they're just going to be going to these different schools and looking at these <laughs> ridiculous like crimes that crimes that go on at the schools mm-hmm. is so funny. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm a little further ahead in the season yeah. than you are, mm-hmm. and it is it does not disappoint. It's a it's it's a real pleasure to watch. It's funny, um, and I, I definitely recommend it. Um, I also wanted to talk quick. I, I don't think this is a show that, that you've gotten to yet. Uh, BoJack Horseman season five dropped I think two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got to the first episode, and I just wanted to comment that BoJack is probably the smartest cartoon out there. Even though we've talked about how the cartoon is just like a vehicle for the show and it's really this like introspection into what life like all right. these dark like deeper issues of life and what it means to be celebrity what it means to be a, a broken mm-hmm. creature human being however you want to frame it with the show just to kind of touch on a couple of the things that this show has talked about over the last couple of seasons they have an asexual character which was right. the first time that's been portrayed on TV uh, they're looking at substance abuse they're looking at depression Alzheimer's, they had a great episode last season uh, where they did it from Bojack's mom's perspective who she's dealing with Alzheimer's and kind of what she sees and how that might be for some uh, someone dealing with that. Um, as well as just like relationships in a really interesting way, stardom in an interesting way. Uh, they do a lot of really great things with the show. Also, another reason to watch, if you listen to us, we you know that we love Rami Malek and he's uh, a voice character on this season. Hell yeah. Or, the uh, the director for Bojack's new show, so uh, he's he's pretty good too. So definitely check this show out. Episode one's great. I'm I'm looking forward to getting in deeper into it. Um, so we'll we'll be talking about it if you ever get a chance to catch up. I know that your list of TV shows is pretty long at this point, yeah. as all of ours Indeed. are. <laughs> all right, Dave. Predator, Assassination Nation. Convince me why I, sh- I should 
or should not see these movies? Well, don't go on Rotten Tomatoes. That's my first, <laughs> first comment. Predator, getting relatively panned, but most people that see the movie will tell you that the movie is flat out absurd. It's the most ridiculous thing I've seen <laughs> in a fucking while. At the same time, really funny and really fucking entertaining and just a damn good, damn good watch. So I was... <laughs> having a great time half the time well every time i'm not shaking my head i'm, ha- I'm laughing my ass off so it was uh surprisingly still good considering the critical panning uh shane black a director who when he's on can really impress you with snappy dialogue and you know his, the way he manipulates characters obviously kiss kiss bang bang uh iron man 3 even uh, the nice guys most recently right uh, yeah. we know what shane black brings to the table and usually he, you know, he can he can do do well. Now this movie, they say that they reshot a lot of the third act, which I yeah, I think I can tell. But it's it's just hilarious watching Jacob Tremblay, obviously kid actor. We know him from the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Tremblay kind of like drives the whole movie because he's able to interface with the predator technology, and <laughs> he's the son of Boyd Holbrook, right? Boyd Holbrook is our you know pseudo lead basically. Um, and Boyd Holbrook, not as jacked as Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think that's a, a cold take, right? Not many people are. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't play into that. They don't treat him like he's just Arnold from 1987, right? So I think that they handle that well. And then Olivia Munn's in this, and I actually think she does a really good job. She has some of the best uh, comedy bits. Um, Stolen K. Brown is, but is the best part of the movie. He's great as an antagonist. Uh, and then like mm-hmm. Keegan-Michael Key is here. Dion Greyjoy from Game of Thrones is here. Thomas Jane is here. Uh, it's quite the impressive ensemble. And uh, Black and Trevante Rhodes from Moonlight, uh, the adult Chiron. Ah. Uh, it's quite it's quite the ensemble. They uh, and Black gives each of them uh, just I feel like just enough to make an impression in the script. Uh, again, there's narrative loopholes. There's convoluted stuff with the plot. You don't have to. You shouldn't think about that when you're watching this. You're just watching uh, funny funny dialogue. And ridiculous over top action, and if that's something you're into, you know, if you, those are what you set your expectations at, I think the movie delivers. This sounds like a really good movie to watch on like a hungover Sunday or mm-hmm. when I have like nothing going sure. on, like Saturday morning, yeah. like just mindless, like gonna be enjoyed. Kind of like the Fast and the Furious movies, yeah. probably worse than those, but just kind of like ah, this is a fun thing to put for in. sure. All right, so Assassination Nation. Do you like this one more? Uh, I like it more. Assassination Nation had a higher expectations, I think, for everyone going in. This is a Sundance mm-hmm. film uh, purchased by Neon, and you look at the poster, promotional posters for this. They're you know, it's Heather's meets the Purge, right? A quartet of girls, high school girls, and basically the premise is that this unknown hacker starts just like doxing people and exposing all of their internet history. It starts with uh, the mayor and a principal then it's half the kids mm-hmm. in school and it just shows how in the movies about how like society in this small town salem you know it's a play on salem witch trials just kind of like descends into madness as you know <sighs> people who's cheating on who who was back all talking you know you, I, you can imagine all shit's exposed people's porn history right. whatever right uh so it devolves into that but what's really cool about the movie is that i think the visual palette's great it's it, it's pretty to watch there's really cool stuff with the camera framing because, you know, there's these four, the four leads, right? The four girls. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of moments when they have all four of them on the screen and it's like vertical planes bisecting the shot. Um, 
Bella Thorne has, is in that scene. She's a, a, a side character, but she's this really cool scene with an American flag. I won't spoil what happens, but that was really cool. And just watching, <laughs> my only reservation is that the movie is just like, gets almost too ridiculous, but at the same point, again, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I think it's really engaging. And look, it's obviously the play on uh, what's you know, going on in, you know, quote, quote 2018, right? And, you know, mm. satirizing that. And I think it might not quite have as strong a message as it presents itself as having, but what it does do well, which I think is just kind of being an engaging story um, and being kind of entertaining watching these high school girls talk shit and kick ass later, you know, uh, mm. will work for me. So this is something I'd recommend uh, people see in the theaters if they can, uh, just because I, I think it'll it'll work. You know, you'll have a good time watching it, but also it had a really bad uh, weekend at the box office. It made a uh, only like a million dollars in uh, fourteen hundred theaters. So that's like seven hundred thirty three dollars per theater. Very bad average. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd say support this movie if you can, or at least rent it later, because I think even though it doesn't totally work, I think it's definitely worth watching for what it does do right. From the way you described it, it kind of reminded me of Kickass a little sure. bit. The violence is akin to Kickass, sure. And just kind of like the overall vibe, like the colors and things like that. Um, and the way it seems to be shot. I mean, obviously I haven't seen it, so I don't know if that, that fits. Um, it sounds like something I'll, I'll definitely check out eventually. Um, probably will wait till like, it's like probably be on HBO or something like that streaming eventually. So I'll probably catch it then. Um, but yeah, it sounds like these are, are two movies that you have to kind of go in knowing what you're going to get. If you go in thinking this is going to be like, I don't know, Oscar Bay or something, you're going to be sorely mistaken. Right. Yeah. No, I, and I think like Predator is like, it's like an amazing B movie, right? And it's right. awesome for that. And then Assassination Nation is just like, this is a film that really shoots its shot. And, and again, that can be probably be, you know, uh, jarring for some people, right? Maybe turn them off. Like there's a, a distinct tonal shift in the middle of the movie. Um, and that was where I, I was thinking, I was like, is this working for me still? And I keep watching. I'm like, yeah, it's still working. I'm having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's all... you just have to frame your frame your reference point, I think. I think we're probably going to wrap up there. Any last thoughts for the people this week? Big week for us next week. Kanye, our guy. That's not happening, dog. Yandi. He's, uh, what, he's the first guest of the new season of SNL? Sounds like a commitment. But, yeah, I, I don't believe it's actually happening until it happens. I don't believe that's the name until it happens. But what I really hope is the case is that it has the album cover like Jesus, because that shit got me hyped. <laughs> Yo, re- real quick question for you: Did you s- did you see or listen to his like Instagram videos yeah. aimed at like Drake and Nick Cannon? Oh, I watched all of them. Man, he was spitting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the moment when he had to wait for the train to go by, for some reason that was just like. I was dying laughing. Like, hold on, there's a train coming. <laughs> like, just waiting. I was like, just redo the video. Like, I know you're in the middle of this ramp, but just like, be like, all right, I'm starting to open. No, it was funny. It's so ridiculous. When he started talking about Travis, <laughs> uh, this is hell yeah, man. <laughs> um, I mean, I hope he drops music. That I mean, I I'll be surprised if he does. But yeah, uh, is this is this gonna be good ass job? Is that no good ass job? Is the name of his collaborative chance project with chance, right? And of course, good ass job. The lineage that was the first lost Kanye album. Remember, 
uh, the kid mm-hmm. is a college dropout, then he you know, late registration, then he graduates, then he gets a good ass job, right? That was the thing. Right. And then good ass job fell by the wayside while he made eight oh eights and heartbreaks, then off to Dark Rose Fantasy. We know we know the story. So even though obviously this is unlikely to be actually what thematically good ass job might have been back in the two thousands. By the way, he's keeping the title around. I think it's fucking dope. I don't know, man. Chance, Chance was all about keeping waves because he felt like it really fit that <laughs> col- uh, college dropout, um, late registration feel. Mo- mo- more late registration, I guess. So, Oof. I mean, if he can pull old school Kanye out of this, yeah. that would be, yeah. I mean, a huge, huge win for 2018. And we know it's in there because Reborn of Kids See Ghosts, Kanye's verse, mm-hmm. was, you know, that's a vintage yay verse. Yes. So we Absolutely. know it's still in there. I think Chance, he loves, he lovely loved Chance. Chance has stood by Kanye through all of his uh, well-earned negativity recently. E- Ebro predicted this weeks ago. He's like, Kanye's going to go on the, the apology tour. He's going to start going back to Chicago. Yada, yada. Yeah. Like, I, he posted a picture. He was hanging out with G Herbo the other day. Another Chicago uh-huh. artist. He's hanging out with GLC and Consequence. Like, he's just, he's just, he's closing out all his beefs. You know, he's paying all his debts. And, hey. Whether it's authentic or not, it's better for all of us. So let's hope the album actually uh, is like that. It's probably going to be not like Yay, I think is a safe take. I think that is a safe take. You know what I'm actually even more excited for than Kanye, though? This Kendrick and Anderson Peck project that's supposed to be dropping in two weeks? Yeah, I don't know if it's just a project or just a collab, but yeah, October 4th. Whatever it is. Bubbling, I think, is one of the hottest songs of the year that gets overlooked. Um I want I want Anderson Pack to drop a second pro or next no, second or third fourth mm-hmm. project at this point. He him. said so. he said that album Oxnard is done. Doctor Dre Hell finished yeah. mixing it, so that's ready. Now whether October fourth, which is the date Oxnard comes out, and the Kendrick songs on that, who knows? Or maybe he just he's really slow playing this, and that's when a new single Kendrick comes out. We'll find out soon, but uh, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, we're we're finishing out September then. We're really hitting like the Oscar uh, run for movies. Now it's right. now it's movie time. Yep, now it's movie time. We have a lot of TV to catch up on. Um, it, and... Insecure next week, season three. Yep. Uh, Logic, Young Sinatra four tape. Uh, again, back to actually rapping, doing like this is straight mm-hmm. technical ability. His first strengths that he attracted fans with. Excited as hell for that. He has a song on Young Sinatra four called Wu Tang Forever with literally all. Nine members of Wu Tang, including Masticilla and Capadonna. Like, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, insane. Uh, so, a lot to be listening to, a lot to be dissecting. We'll be talking about it all on Nostalgia. So, hit that subscribe button. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. Share with friends and family, uh, especially on Twitter at nostalgia pod. Interact with us, share our tweets. Oh, yeah. We, we were live uh, live tweeting the Emmys and had some, Went well. some pretty good ones. Went well. So, Definitely uh, give us a follow and a share. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you. We love you. Peace out.